welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Happy Friday, y'all. We got another Q&A. It is jammed pack. Uh, a lot of great training and nutrition questions today. We talk a little bit about being a health coach, a certified personal trainer, and what to do on the legal slash business end of things. Um, and I try to walk you through my experiences with that. We talk about uh, changing specific movements in your training programs due to uh, injuries. We talk about doctors prescribing diet pills, staying healthy and physical as you age to prevent injury. We talk about a lot of different things, busting through plateaus, some research on thyroid issues, um, the whole nine. So you guys are going to love this episode. It is a jam-packed information podcast. I do want to give you a quick shout out and reminder before we get started. Um, we got some really, really exciting stuff coming up on February 15th. So I want you to keep a lookout for the new revamped and relaunched tailored trainer. So we have been running the tailored trainer for a couple years now, and it was just time to revamp everything. So what we did is worked with a software developer um, and actually created our own tailored trainer app. So you're going to be able to go to the app store, no matter what kind of phone you have and download a physical app from us called the Taylor Trainer. I'm so excited about this. It's like just feels super legit and official. Um, and you're going to get access to all my training programs through there. But the reason we did this is because it automates a lot of the manual labor on the back end, um, which yes, gave us more work to do. And we were happy to do it. But, but the thing we didn't like about it is that it slowed the process down of getting you your programs and getting you into the gym using our systems and training programs. So us shifting gears and creating this automated and this new app software is going to allow you to have all the control in your hands on the app, you're going to be able to do it right away versus waiting on customer service, which we try to keep top notch uh, because we have lives, right? You have to wait on us to make sure that we can get you set up, get you started. Now it's in your control. You have access to everything. You can plan your schedule. You can plan your workouts. The Facebook group is still going to be present and live for feedback on your exercises, questions, live Q&As, all that good stuff. Um, and the best part of all, two amazing things for your wallet. Number one, you get a seven-day free trial when you sign up on the 15th. That whole week, we're going to offer the seven-day free trial, which means you can try the system out. You can download the app. You can try our programs. You can see if the app works for you before you even commit to actually paying. For seven full days, you can try out my programs and the app. And, and on top of that, we are reducing the price by almost half. Actually, I think it might be by half. It's a buy a lot. We're dropping the price so that it is less than a dollar a day. Right now, it is just over $2 a day, which is still damn cheap for good programming. But this is going to be the most affordable science-based training program app that is on the market, and I could not be more excited. So um, guys, please, please, please stay on the lookout for that. We're going to announce it a few times in the upcoming podcast. But if you want to finally get access and try out my training programs, get a seven-day free trial um, and take your programming to the next level so you can get better results in the gym. This is your time. All right, without any further ado, 
Let's get into the podcast. If you could have any car ever, one car, what would your car be? Any car in the world. Money's not an issue. Probably. You don't seem like much of a car guy to me. Not a car, not a truck? Or a truck. Any vehicle. You could drive any vehicle. You could drive a tank if you wanted to. Probably just a truck. I don't know. You don't have a specific kind of truck? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like a Silverado. I don't know. A Chevy. <laughs> GMC Sierra 1500. Like uh, decked out. Yeah. Maybe a Ford Raptor with an extended cab or something. I feel like I'm like, see, that, that'd be sick. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm... I, do you fuck with Pinterest at all? Did I mess. I I'm on Pinterest like every day now, and once you look at one thing, yeah, it just starts populating. So now I'm like super into fucking Aston Martins and Bentleys and shit like that, like unbelievable cars. Yeah. So like I I feel like I ask Shannon this question like every other week, and her answer is always a, a G wagon, like that's her dream car, and mine changes every week. That's a yeah. I don't like G wagons. Yeah, I mean, I think they're very very. I was gonna say that's a dream car. She fucking loves you, Agnes. They mm. look ugly to me. They're like... Ugly is a stretch, but I yeah, mean, I'm not a big fan. It's it's only cool because it's a G-Wagon. Yeah. You know, like an, an a brand new Escalade has more of an aesthetic appeal to me. Have you seen the new ones? They're pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, but a G-Wagon looks the same every year. It's just like a block. Yeah. Just a brick. All right, if you could take this building and you could put it anywhere in the country... Like, basically, your life, your job, this facility, everything moves. Where would you take us? You couldn't stay in Washington. Couldn't stay in Washington. I have no idea, dude. No clue. No. I would say Scottsdale, but it's too hot in the summer. Yeah, it's fucking hot. Um, I would say Montana, but it's too damn cold in the winter. Yeah. That's hard to get a good middle ground. Montana would be sick, though. I've never actually been. but Yeah, maybe, like, San Diego. San Diego would be perfect good. weather all year round because of the ocean. Yeah, San Diego is perfect. Weather. My dad always told me, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but he's like, "If you ever turn into a bum, <laughs> go to San Diego." Dude, have you ever? You uh, never freeze and you never yeah. get too hot. Have you seen the bum community in San Diego? That sounds weird. Not San Diego, but Dude, I mean, it's, I've taken a train from San Fran to San yeah. Diego, and in LA, you pass through. Oh yeah, it's pretty bad. San, San Fran's, Fran's the pretty, worst. Yeah, San yeah. Fran's pretty damn bad. San Diego got really I was there a few years ago and the person I was there with, Steve Krebs, he lived there and he said like they've been migrating over from San Fran. It's getting really bad. And yeah. we went through making their way down. Outside a gas lamp, just outside that gas lamp and it was like bad. Yeah. But San Fran is pretty rough too. That's I saw a man shoot up heroin into his foot in San Francisco. Damn. Guy. Yeah, I was actually freaking out. I was young that's not cool to see but i mean no. you see that in seattle too you gotta be i feel like you gotta be in an alley you gotta be somewhere in seattle where you shouldn't be yeah where, you know, where were you in san fran i was at a crosswalk on a street i was oh. just walking to the gym <laughs> by myself and this dude was sitting on the sidewalk in the fucking broad daylight it was like <laughs> noon jeez and he and i watched him do it and then he looked up at me as he started to kind of go out of it and i was just like fucking waiting for the light <laughs> to turn like walk yeah oh my yeah. god i was freaking out I've never yeah. seen fucking heroin before. I think that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Fucking scary. Some dude. needle. Yeah, it was some needle. Something I don't want to be have anything to do with. All right. Uh, yeah. San Diego's my answer. San Diego would be cool. I really want, like, I, you need to watch Yellowstone if you haven't watched it. <laughs> you would love that show. 
But ever since watching that, I'm like, I want to go to Montana, even if it's just to kick it for a while. Dude, yeah, it's sweet. Dio tells me Montana's dope, too. He's gone a few times. Yeah. Steph has family out there. It's very uh, peaceful and wide open. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's what I would think would be cool for this place, is, like, go somewhere where we just have, like, 10 acres. Yeah. And start a fucking organic farm, too. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get some questions. All right. Uh... Another Q&A, guys. Uh, we got a lot of good questions today. We'll start it right off. We got the first question coming from Kelsey Cesar. Uh, hey, Cody, I've been out of the game for a bit after having my first child, but I would love to jump back into coaching. I have about five years of personal training experience at a gym and am certified health coach as well. I feel like at this point in my life, life my efforts need to be in starting my own business and building clientele. I look up to you and what you have created so much. One thing I would love some insight on is when you first get started on your own, how did you go about all the legal stuff? That sounds like the first question. I get so tripped up over if I need to create my own park and health history forms amongst others, or if I should seek legal advice from someone who knows the industry and, and have them write it up. I know I need insurance, but all the other stuff I'm not even sure where to start with. Thanks again. So I guess uh, it's the only question, but yeah. I would always suggest seeking legal advice if you can. Like I, when I first started, I didn't, um, but I had mentors who had already done it. So they allowed me to kind of oversee their park their legal documents, their contract and liability forms and stuff like that, and then kind of mimic my own. Um but they weren't as official as they are today when I hired a lawyer to come in, sit down with me and go, here's my business. Here's my insurance for the company. Here's my insurance for the coaches to do what they do. Create us a liability form, hmm. you know, like, and cause a lot of times too, when you go through like that stuff and you start crossing your T's and dotting your eyes, there's a lot of shit that you just don't know to put in there. You don't know how to word properly. Um, so having somebody like mine was like one page brief, quick, easy, got the job done. And I did a good job, so it's not like I had to worry about any legal issues anyway. Uh, I wasn't stepping out of my scope of practice, but it's always good to have that, obviously. When I had a lawyer come in, it went from one page to like five pages because he was like, you're missing this, 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 this. You got to change this. This isn't worded properly. This doesn't make sense for what you do. And I was just like, fuck, all right, well. And most people don't read the fine print, so you would never really know that you're wrong, but um, God forbid something happens. Problem is lawyers are abnormally and unrealistically expensive. Um. Like that whole thing that they, they charge so much because they got to pay off their school, or whatever. It's yeah. got to be true. Like it's honestly blows my mind how much yeah. an hour of their time is. But yeah. um, but if you can, I would do that. I mean, I, you know, I hired him for however many hours it took to create the contract and then it's done. Yeah. And now I'm going to have it for the next five years of our business. So I would recommend that as much as possible. Um, and I think like just some parting advice for you getting back into the game, quote unquote, um, is really just always lead with value. Like I know I say that kind of stuff all the time, but like it, it's an ironic question. Cause I literally, I had a call on the way here before we started recording. Um, I'm going to butcher your name probably cash cash or Kashav. Um, but shout out to him. He hit me up on Instagram. He wants to work with us, but like our conversation was really cool. So I was like, Hey, I'm going to take the call with you just so I can, I want to chat with you, man. And, uh, didn't know, but he, he's, uh, he, he's an, a new actor in New York city. He's doing some roles. He went through some health stuff and he needs some help staying lean and healthy and blah, blah, blah. 
But he started the conversation with like, man, before I even talk about me and no matter how this conversation goes, I want you to know that for the last two years, I've been consuming all of your content and it's literally changed my life. And I went through some really dark periods of time and you helped me get through those. And I've never known like he's liked and commented and stuff, but it's so cool to sit on the phone with somebody like that and be like, holy shit, like what we're doing right now, which the ROI is kind of cross your fingers, you know, the rate of investments, like we're going to put all this time and effort into making this podcast dope. And hopefully it allows the business to continue to grow so we can keep doing it. But we don't, nobody pays for this. For you know sure. what I mean? It's just hoping that people listen and hoping that people get a positive change from what I think is going to positively change somebody. Yeah. So my point with that is, is, is he's been consuming, following, listening, learning, using programs that I put out for free. And, and maybe he's gotten an ebook or two for over two years. And now he's going to finally hire us. Right. So the reason I'm telling you this is because when you get into this game, you got to think long term. What we're doing right now is is for the bigger picture in two years, three years, four years, five years. People who work with us usually follow us for a minimum of six months before they even start working with us, which means the rate of investment on a piece of content is zero dollars until six months has passed, which means the first six months of building a business is very rough. Right. And sometimes a full year. But you can't let that discourage you, and you have to keep putting out more and more and more free content, free help, free advice. Get on the phone call with people. Do whatever you can um, because that's ultimately what builds the brand. That's what builds your financial goals in the long term. You know what I mean? So a um, little long-winded rant that has nothing to do with your legal advice, but um, hire a legal professional if you can. If not, find a mentor or somebody that will help you develop it, but I wouldn't just wing it. Yeah. You know, there's cheap options, but don't wing it. For sure. It's never smart. All right. Next question comes from Kristen Evidston. When I do specific arm movements, I tend to feel like I am getting tennis elbow, AKA tendonitis, especially movements with the bar. I switched to dumbbell and that helped anything I can do to help this or just avoid these special specific exercises. One of the biggest things is going to be avoiding those specific exercises. Tendonitis is mainly due to two things. One, inflammation in the joint. And two, uh, repetitive movements of a specific movement pattern, right? Just doing the same movement pattern over and over and over and over again. Um, So what I would do is, first and foremost, really take some notes and, and pinpoint what you are doing, Chris, I know you work with us, so just make sure you're f- filling myself and the coaches and stuff like that in the loop with what you're doing. But basically, you want to make sure that you're taking notes on the, the movements that do bug it, and we want to remove those movements and sub them out for different movements because it can be as simple like my mom had tennis elbow, and she actually had to go to the doctor to get cast everything from uh, her desk job because her mouse. So this external rotation over and over and over again caused issues with her elbow. So we can try to tweak posture and mechanics and all that kind of shit to get her to use her mouse better. But like at the end of the day, it's like, how can we revert, like just change this? Well, one of the answers was a stand up desk because now she's in an extended period when she's doing that rotation, it's more mm-hmm. shoulder versus sitting when you're in a flexed elbow position, it's going to be more elbow. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's changing your position. Sometimes it's changing the modality. I mean, dumbbells will help, but not necessarily because dumbbells are better than barbell for elbow pain but because you automatically reduce the load um i guess that's not true because to an extent if you're doing a dumbbell press you're doing a press right it doesn't matter if it's a barbell kettlebell dumbbell if the press is the problem then you got to change the press 
but sometimes like a fixed position in a barbell can can mess with people because it's fixed i can't change the bar yeah dumbbells i can tweak my grip the angle of my elbow my shoulder so i can kind of put myself in a better position so if you notice that helps switch to that kind of stuff um take notes on the movements that are bugging it and and try to remove that and then the biggest thing is inflammation and one of the leading things that i see with clients uh, like yourself that have inflammation whether we're talking about gut inflammation joint inflammation doesn't matter it's stress high stress levels, anxiety, things like that, overwhelm, those are going to lead to more inflammation and that's going to cause joint pain. So yes, we can take supplements like Legion has a really good joint supplement for inflammation. Fish oil always helps as well. Proper dieting, which I know you're doing, getting enough sleep, but reducing stress as a whole is going to help so much to reduce inflammation in the body head to toe. And that's going to relieve a lot of that, that issue as well. For sure. Um, Obviously, alcohol, processed sugar, things like that can trigger that for some people. Um, I had a client, uh, Kimberly, back at the gym who she just snacked on sugar, like treats and stuff like that. And she was always fit and really strong. So she never really – you probably remember Kim, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, she she never, like, gained a bunch of weight from it. She can kind of eat that stuff. But her joints would kill her when she had too much sugar. So we would have to reduce that sugar by a significant amount and then all of a sudden – this tendonitis feeling, this inflammation would go away. Yeah. So play with all those kind of things, and I think you should – one of them will, will solve the issue. For sure. All right, next question comes from Tammy Liu. What are your thoughts on doctors prescribing diet pills for patients? I'm I'm disturbed. Disturbed a doctor is – oh, I am disturbed that a doctor is giving me – that is giving me that to my mother-in-law. Hmm. What are your thoughts on doctors prescribing diet pills? I am disturbed a doctor is giving that to my mother-in-law is what I think it is. Okay. Um, fuck, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would I would start by saying, like, what kind of diet pill are we talking about? You know, because diet pills is, is an umbrella category. There's doctors that will prescribe metformin or berberin, which is going to improve glucose uh, regulation, blood sugar regulation, and insulin sensitivity. So if somebody comes in and they're diabetic or pre-diabetic and they give them a diet pill, but it's metformin or berberin, I think it's great. It's going to help. You know, it's going to improve your ability to eat carbs and manage your diabetes or pre-diabetic symptoms. Um, so in that regard, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Now, if a doctor is prescribing like HCG or, or something like that, that's where I think, one, it's, it's not healthy because it's really just a way for to put you on an extremely low-calorie diet. Um, if it's a fat burner, I mean, I'm more so – fat burners aren't, for the most part, unless you're taking ephedrine, which is illegal, so you're not going to be taking ephedrine unless you live in another country, and it's legal there because some countries it is. And ephedrine actually fucking works but it can be kind of dangerous at times. So any fat burner that you can legally get in the United States is not going to be dangerous. So I wouldn't be like worried if a doctor gave it. I would just be shocked because it's not necessarily unprofessional, but uneducational. Like it's just like, damn, like you're really resulting to a fat burner as a fucking doctor. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just because we know fat burners don't really do anything. They don't really work. Um, I will take a fat burner um, partially because Obviously, I'm, I get hooked up by Legion with supplements, so I can take that stuff. When I'm deep into a diet, and I actually did this before with their product before I was with them, but if I'm deep into a cut, uh, I will take a fat burner, not because it makes me burn more fat, but because there's caffeine, which gives me energy because I'm not taking as much food, and there's some appetite suppressants in it. So when I'm 
12 weeks deep into a diet and I'm starting to experience cravings and hunger, taking the fat burner might actually help manage the cravings and hunger. Um, but it's not going to like get me shredded. Yeah. Right. But it's still, I still don't think that's very formal or insightful of a doctor to be prescribing. You know, I think it's kind of weird. Um, so yeah, my thoughts are, are that I think it's, it's, it's not very education or evidence based. Um, if it's something like metformin, then I actually don't see any issue with it. And, and make sure you read into this because a lot of times that is what is prescribed to, to individuals who are extremely overweight or are overweight enough to where they have diabetes or are pre-diabetic, they will prescribe metformin and it's going to improve and help diabetes. So is berberin. Berberin has been shown, it's not prescription grade, but it's been shown to be just as effective as metformin. And I've taken berberin. I've given clients the suggestion of taking berberin because it will help some people um, with like, for example, PCOS causes some insulin resistance. Berberin is going to help with that. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So if, if your mother-in-law came home and she's just like, he put me on some diet pill to lose weight, I think she's interpreting it incorrectly and you can kind of like be at ease. Um, but if he's literally giving a fat loss pill, I think that's pretty fucking weird, but I would be shocked. I don't feel yeah. like a, a farm, uh, pediatrician or a general physician a or anything like that. Pediatrician, I guess the kid's doctor. Yeah. Right? Definitely not that. <laughs> um, uh, general physician is what I was thinking of. Yeah. I highly doubt they're going to be giving a fat burner yeah. or diet pill. Hopefully it's very unlikely, but, um, but if so, then yeah, I would be, I would be kind of disturbed and shocked as well. I think you might want to find a new general physician real quick too on that one. Just while I'm thinking of it for you or your mother-in-law, if you have weight issues and you're going to the doctor, hire a nutritionist because doctors are not truly educated in fat loss nutrition, very rarely even nutrition period. They take very minimal nutrition. It's, it's more around the pharmaceutical aspect of nutrition. So when you go to a doctor, they know medicine, prescriptions, antibiotics, that realm of nutrition. Um, malnutrition to an extent, which means put an IV in you and give you vitamin B and shit. You know, like mm. if you want to lose weight and get healthy, hire a nutritionist. They're going to do a better job at it. Yeah. Uh, moving on here, we got one from Grant. Kale, as I stay physically healthy as I get older, is there any specific things we can do proactively to prevent injury? Uh, not training too much is going to be the first one. Um, I, I think a lot of people simply just train too much. They train five, six days a week, and as you get older, if – but I don't want to say as you get older because there's people who are 40, 50, 60 that can train six days a week and they're totally fine – um, but if you like, just pay attention to those things, because the more you train, the more volume is going on your body period, right? The more you're beating up your joints. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would suggest usually as you get older, lift four days a week, even I lift four days a week. I don't think it's necessary to lift more than that, unless you're really trying to build as much muscle as possible, or you really, really love training so much that you want to be in there five or six days a week. Um, Another way to reduce injuries uh, is going to be doing some more aerobic work. So maybe you're lifting three or four days a week, and then you're doing a couple days of aerobic training, not high-intensity conditioning, but aerobic conditioning because it's going to promote better health, better everything. Um, and to an extent, if you do it properly, it'll, it'll promote better recovery and reduce inflammation and things like that. Um, nutrition is going to be one of the biggest things. As you get older, you need more protein in your diet, and you need to avoid um, – being in a calorie surplus more like you just you shouldn't be in a deep deficit either but you really got to hone in on maintenance calories and getting enough protein and eating the right food sources um as you get older because your body 
is less sensitive to the good stuff and more sensitive to the bad stuff, meaning like protein is good stuff, right? Your body lowers its ability to uh, synthesize protein, muscle protein synthesis as you get older. Testosterone lowers as you get older. Things like that mean that you're more sensitive in a bad way and you need to repair that or, or aid that or supplement that with proper nutrition. For sure. Um, water intake, sleep is going to be a massive one. Um, probably staying away from a lot of, like this is where I like a functional bodybuilding style program as well. Like instead of going to the gym and doing like barbell squats, then leg press, then RDLs, and then like leg extensions and leg curls, like a lot of fixed barbell and machine movements, um, very high intensity. Maybe you do a front squat and then you do like a kettlebell goblet reverse lunge and then you do like some dead bugs and farmer's walks. And it's very functional, quote unquote, because you're not focused on creating maximum intensity or tension on the muscle. You're more so focused on just generally building strength, generally building muscle, moving well. Um, Doing that's going to be a much better route. So like I think functional is kind of a buzzword. I use it all the time, (laughs) admittedly. And I think it can be confusing for people like what is actually functional. But to me, functional is things that are going to promote better quality of life, right? So to an extent, leg press, leg curls, leg extensions, those things can be functional for some people if they're in that stage of life that it promotes a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a stage in my life where all those things did because building as much muscle as possible was going to make my life better mentally, physically, emotionally. It's what I wanted. Um, as I got older, as it was harder to get a full night's rest of sleep, as I had to run the company, as I have a family, it's more important for me to do more with less and be more functional, quote unquote, because it saves my joints, saves my health, saves my stress. Um, it allows me to just feel better day to day and I'm too young to be hurting all the time, you know? So, um, just kind of go functional with that. I think that's that's a really good tip overall. Don't train too much. Get enough sleep. Have proper nutrition. Potentially supplement with some things that are going to help with inflammation. Um, and I think you'll be good. I think you'll be well off in that case. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Um, all right. We got a uh, several – or not several, th- about three questions from uh, Krista Ann. The first uh, question says, any helpful tips for clients that have seen a weight loss stall? The background of this client is uh, consistent with tracking, works out, and has minimal alcohol meals out. Biofeedback is looking good. A maintenance phase was utilized in weeks prior. This is question one. Uh, Weight loss stall in this situation is ultimately just going to be create a bigger deficit. Um. Most people, like, there's these, like, uh, what's the word? Not predetermined. Um, people have these these numbers in their head of what is too low for calories, right? Like, for most people, they think females, uh, females can't go below 1,200 calories. Like, that's the number is 1,200. Mm. For men, it's, like, usually 15 or 1,600, like, Anytime you go below 1,600, it's like, whoa, like you're dieting too hard, too low. But if, if somebody's at 1,700 calories, a guy's at 1,700 calories, and he feels fine, he's getting sleep, he's still maintaining in the gym, maybe he's not progressing, but he hits a fat loss stall and he wants to lose more weight, I'm going to drop him below 1,700 calories. I'm going to create another 5 to 10% deficit on top of that via carbs or fats or both, and he's going to keep losing weight. So... Don't base it off a specific number. Base it off their result and their biofeedback. If that person can drop 
five percent of guys, and, and it's all relative to the number. So if she's at, if it's a girl and she's at thirteen hundred, and you don't want to take her to twelve hundred, well, if you make a five percent deficit of thirteen hundred, that's not that many calories. What is that? Fucking seventy calories or something? Like, it's not a huge deficit, right? Yeah. Whereas if somebody was consuming twenty five hundred, that's like a two hundred calorie deficit, right? It seems bigger, but it's all relative to the total intake and the total body weight of the person. So most likely, you're going to have to either move more or eat less. That's usually the case. Um, I know we talk about move more, eat more all the time. And I think that's a great strategy for somebody who has a high stress lifestyle or has had chronic dieting in the past or is reverse dieting. But it doesn't sound like that's the case with this lady. It sounds like they just stalled out. And if they just stalled out and their biofeedback's great, I think you just got to create a bigger deficit, whether that's through movement or it's through food, plain and simple. Touche. All right, cool. Uh, She had three of them. So the second one. Says any good resources for trying to lose weight that have thyroid issues? Um, the biggest thing, simple advice, is a deficit still applies. So typically, when somebody has thyroid issues, I'm looking at two things. Um, if it's just if it's Hashimoto's, then I will potentially look at the type of foods they're eating because sometimes Hashimoto's can be triggered by food intolerances as well. Um, so if they have Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's is a type of thyroid dysfunction. It's a type of hypothyroidism. So if that's the case, then I am going to look at like the quality of food as well. But if it's just generally they have hypothyroidism, which is usually what people are talking about when they bring this up because hyperthyroidism, you struggle to keep weight on because yeah. your metabolism is so fast. So the thyroid obviously affects the metabolism a lot. And in this scenario, if somebody has hypothyroidism, it may be slowing down their metabolism. But that doesn't mean their metabolism doesn't work. It's just that their metabolism isn't as efficient or easy to work with as, say, mine because I don't have thyroid issues. So for this individual, bigger deficit. Like I know that's not the answer people want to hear, but if if somebody, person A is – 200 pounds, 5'8", 30 years old, wants to lose 20 pounds. Person B is the same age, same weight, same height, same gender, same caloric intake right now, same weight loss goal, but they have thyroid dysfunction. This person might get away with creating a 250-calorie deficit. This person might have to have a 400-calorie deficit because they have a thyroid dysfunction, which means their metabolism is not going to work with us as well. Usually, that's as far as I need to take it. It's like, okay, we're going to have to play with macros a little bit. We're probably going to need... The other thing I would say, too, is creating a deficit does create more stress on the body as a whole, but specifically to the thyroid, um, which is one of the big triggers for metabolic adaptation, obviously. So you just have to be aware of that because not only do you, you might need a bigger deficit for that individual because they already have dysfunctional insensitive thyroid, um, but also metabolic adaptation might kick in quicker or more aggressively with them because they already have a dysfunctional thyroid, mm-hmm. right? We know that dieting hard will slow the thyroid down more. So if it's already pretty slow and we're making it slower, it's going to hit them harder, faster than the person that is totally healthy and has no thyroid issues. Um, so in that case, I might be taking more diet breaks as well. So with person A, I might go four weeks in a moderate deficit and then every fifth week is a diet break. Person B, I might have a more aggressive diet, but every third week is a deficit. So we're taking, or sorry, diet breaks. So we're taking twice as many diet breaks as the normal person without thyroid dysfunction just to make sure that we're trying to blunt. It's not going to reverse the symptoms of metabolic adaptation, but it can slow them down. It can blunt that process. It can blunt or slow down the effect, manage the effect that the diet has on the thyroid. Um, And I think if you do those two things, like, you're going to be golden. Yeah. Most of the same rules of dieting will apply to them. 
right? And I think that's the case with most most things. Yeah. Hey, do you want quick, easy, and fast fat loss? So fast that it'll happen in 30 days and maybe all you have to do is take a pill? Well, you're shit out of luck because it's not gonna happen. It takes hard work and patience, which is one of the reasons why I love Legion Supplements. They are open and honest about their marketing and on the front page, they tell you that supplements don't overrule training and nutrition, but they do supplement a good diet and a good training program. So if your training's dialed in, your nutrition is on point, and you wanna get that upper edge and take things to the next level to get the best results possible for your body and performance, check out Legion and save 20% today by heading to buylegion.com slash boom boom. Now, let's get back to the episode. All right, question three out of three from Krista Ann comes from tips on tracking burnout. uh, Possibly tips on transitioning from a full tracking to taking a break, but still staying within the goals. Um, I will typically uh, program in, like I don't program it at like on a predetermined period of time for all of my clients, but a lot of times I put them into a like intuitive diet break. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's four weeks. Um, because at a certain point, everybody's going to get burnt out on tracking. Even me, like at a certain point, it just gets annoying entering your macros into an app and we're humans. It's, it's, you know, it's understandable. Um, for the analytic individual or the person who's really into, to fitness like myself, it takes a long time before you really get burnt out, especially if you're doing, um, like maintenance and gaining phases. When I was in a gaining phase, I actually would take a couple days a week. Like it would just be random days. Like, oh, I'm basically eating this, around the same stuff as yesterday. I'm just not going to track because I'm trying to gain weight. So I, I don't need to be meticulous. And that's what I would suggest. Usually when, when you get to maintenance and you're comfortable at your maintenance or you're going into a gaining phase, don't track meticulously every single day because you will burn yourself out psychologically and you need to track meticulously when you have a serious fat loss goal. Yeah. So right now I am tracking meticulously because I have a fat loss goal, but I'm also motivated to do so and it doesn't burn me out because I didn't burn myself out prior to, to starting this fat loss phase. Um, I don't suggest wiping out tracking completely during the gaining phase or the maintenance phase because typically that leads to you just putting on too much fat before the cut even starts. Um, but give yourself a diet break where you're just not even tracking. Like if I have a client that's traveling and they're stressed about tracking or they don't know how to track or, and they don't have, like, I know, I, I feel comfortable knowing that they're not going to binge or anything like that. I'm like, Hey, just get your protein in. Don't track it, but just try to make sure you drink an extra protein shake every day to make sure you hit your protein numbers and just, just eat moderately, you for know, sure. like, don't worry about it. Um, for some people I've always kind of had a free day. So like for me, every Saturday, I just kind of don't track that works well for me and keeps me from burning out, but it also works well for me because I can look at a meal and kind of calculate about how many ounces of that that is, how much protein's in this. So by the end of the day, I know like where I'm at. Um, and I typically do that because, I mean, you know, this. basically every single Saturday of my life, I have a charcuterie board with my wife. So mm. Um, I purposely save calories for that, but I don't track throughout the day to save calories. I just know what I'm eating and then I just have enjoy the board. And then if I wake up and I'm like, I definitely ate too much last night, I just pull back a little bit. If I feel fine, like I didn't and I did it well, then I just eat as normal. Um, but that free day every week does help me psychologically speaking. It's just that not everybody can do that because for some people a free day turns into like a buffet all day. Um, so my tips for burning out are, are plan in phases where you're just less serious about tracking. Um, and if you're, if you have a long-term dieting goal, like, 
Um, even for me, for example, I think I'm like three months in. We're going to be dieting probably for six months total, um, maybe a little bit longer because we're taking a really slow, steady approach, which is what I wanted to do. But every once in a while, you just have to plan in a few days where you don't track. So like I knew Thursday and Friday I was going to be moving, and then Saturday, Sunday, I was going to be like just unpacking, hanging shit, building furniture, and two things. Number one, I didn't feel like meticulously like planning my meals throughout that process because when you're moving, it's just like when can you eat? Whenever. You know, whenever you can eat, you just grab a bite to eat. And I didn't and I wanted to take a mental break anyway, because I'd been dieting every single day for three months. And I wanted a beer on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because I don't know if you feel this way. Whenever I move, I feel like I have to have a beer. Yeah, for sure. Like it's a weird feeling. Like I'm moving furniture and there's a moving truck here. <laughs> when we stop at each like house to load truck, stop and have a beer, load yeah. the truck, yo. Um, and I wanted to be able to do that. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take four days off. Um, I didn't gain any weight. I was totally fine because I managed it properly. And I was taking like 20,000 steps a day from moving. Um, but I purposely knew that that was coming. Like I knew for months when I was going to be moving and I knew that I was going to be dieting for months anyway. So I was like, I'm going to purposely just not track most of that week because I just want to have some freedom, take a, a break from the app and my tracker on Google sheets, and then I'll jump back into it. Um, so I think long winded answer, but at the end of the day, purposely take breaks when you can. Um, and, and don't be so meticulous when you're in a gaining phase or a maintenance phase, allow yourself some wiggle room because that will pay off psychologically speaking when it is time to be more meticulous. Yeah, definitely. Cool. That was a good answer. So there you go, Krista. We got, um, it's either Ellie Karam. Mm -hmm. How far ahead of time can I prime for my workouts? For example, can I prime my body for squats at home, spend 15 minutes driving to the gym, and go straight into squatting? Short answer, no. Um, and shout out to all the uh, TCM family. These are all from them. I posted just like two hours ago, and <laughs> they just blew up that uh, thread with questions, which was really dope to see. So I'm going to go in there and answer them kind of personally, and then obviously we're answering them on the podcast. Um, so shout out to all the members and in in, in ex-members that we keep in that group. Uh, helping us with this Q&A. But um, I would say no, because you kind of defeat, especially with a squat. So with a squat, if you're like, hey, I want you to prime me for a squat, I'm going to put you in like a side plank or uh, a power press, some kind of anti-rotation, but you're going to be in a hips extended position, right? Rib cage tucked, really proper neutral spine. Um, I'm going to do some kind of hamstring curls or glute bridges, which is hip extension. Um, and I'm probably going to do some kind of like face pull or pull apart to do external rotation of an upper back work of the shoulders. Right. But if you do that and then you go sit in a car, now your hips are in a flex position, your shoulders are in a flex position, your core is not engaged, your spine is not neutral. So you kind of just reverse everything you just did. Um, I don't care if the drive is five minutes or 20 minutes. I wouldn't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I think if you did that, you would feel really good getting getting into your car seat, your 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 driver's seat, and then when you get to the gym, you kind of reverse those things and you would jump into a heavy squat, assuming you were still primed, and then you're probably going to perform poorly or get injured. Yeah. So I would always recommend doing it right before. I think a perfect priming is going to be uh, training your posterior chain, no matter what big compound lift you're doing. It's always going to be a posterior chain activation drill, and then some kind of uh, central nervous system primer. Which, like for squats, I really like doing the leg curls, the side planks, that stuff like that, and then like a light goblet squat, and then some kind of explosive jump whether it's like a seated squat jump, it's a box jump, it's a broad jump, goblet squat, explosive jump, do like two rounds of that, and then just jump right into the squat, and you'll feel amazing. Um, 
So no, I don't think you should do that. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. I would I would do it at the gym for sure. There we go. All right, we got a couple more here. We got one from Lindsay Sands. Sanaz. I don't know. Wanting to live four days, be athletic, but also perform big lifts and grow grow glutes with some accessories, which tailored uh, with some accessories. I'm assuming there's a period there. Which tailored trainer program would be best for me? Mm. Probably female physique is what I would recommend. Um, it's a uh, female physique is cool because it's a five day split. So if you're looking for strength and muscle mass, that's probably the best one. Um, and there's it's it's Lower upper uh, legs push pull is the split. And the reason I set it up that way is because the lower legs and pull all have glutes. So that way you're hitting glutes three times a week. The rest of your legs twice a week. Everything put like pressing movements, upper body twice a week. Pulling movements, upper body twice a week as well. Um, and you have two strength days and three hypertrophy days. Uh, and that's a really good program because, again, you're getting a lot of volume in specifically on the glutes. Um, so that's, I mean, a hundred, like without a doubt, if, if, if anyone is listening and they're in the tailor trainer or you want to join the tailor trainer and you're a female who wants to build muscle, get lean, have like an athletic, aesthetic physique, you want to build your glutes, female physique is the best program in there. Um, caveat or warning, I am changing the names of a lot of them when we switch over to the new app. So it's taking me a little bit longer to finish everything because I want it to be perfect, uh, but the new app will be launching very soon. Um, if you're already in the Taylor Trainer, you'll be migrated over seamlessly. We're, we're just going to switch you over, and, and you'll be able to just continue your program. It'll be simple. Um, if you're just signing up or you're, or you're thinking about signing up, I wouldn't wait for the launch because if you wait for the launch, you won't be the first to get access to the new app. So sign up now, start training, and then when the app is ready and we bring everybody over, you'll get first dibs and access to it. Um, compared to the public and pricing won't change nothing like that. You'll get, you'll get the benefit of all that. Um, but I'm probably going to change the programs to make it a little bit more simple. My plan is to have basically like performance bodybuilding, male, female, uh, pure hypertrophy, male, female, pure strength, male, female, um, fat loss, male, female. So it's just like categories. Like what is your goal? Do you want to build muscle? Here it is. Male, female. Do you want to perform better, but look aesthetic? So like an aesthetic athletic goal. Here's your program, male, female, right? You just care about deadlifting heavier and getting stronger. Here's your program. You know what I mean? Like just very categorized, easy for them to do. Um, and obviously you'll have access to that on the app, which is, to me, that's the coolest fucking thing. They can log into this app and then they just have access to everything, their calendar. They don't have to worry about us managing anything. Um, so everything's immediate for them. So oh. I'm stoked about that. So there's going to be a less amount of programs? Uh, probably not. Actually, technically, I think there will be um, because they're going to be better categorized and uh, I'm tweaking some of the programs though. So like, mm. it's not going to be like, because the cool thing about this too is, I mean, we've been, the Taylor Trainer has been a thing. I mean, before it was Taylor Trainer, it was Boom Boom Elite. And I mean, regardless, it's been a thing for a couple of years now, I think. Mm -hmm. So I have all this data of like, all right, what programs, and I can literally see this on the back end, what programs were the most popular? right? What programs did barely anybody do at all? Cause it wasn't a popular program. What about the programs that people love? What, 
what about the programs did they have to adjust? Did they need substitutes for? Did they not like? Was confusing. And now I can take all those programs that were the most popular and I can tweak them to make them better, more effective, more efficient, easier for them to understand. Um, and to me, that's kind of like taking this big, broad list and narrowing it down to like the best programs. And all the programs are going to be year long periodization cycles for sure so the cool thing is is like if you come in and you're like well i want to train five days a week and this is my goal okay well we don't need to you to do this eight week program and then afterwards reassess and do this other 16 week program and then reassess and you'll do this four week block it's like no if this is your goal and this is how many days you can train do this program talk to me next year like it's literally like the periodization is done for you so you don't have to worry about phasing in and out because we periodize things either on a weekly or a monthly basis so that it can just keep cycling and keep progressing and keep changing as it's supposed to mm-hmm. versus program hopping. And I'm, I'm literally going to make it, uh, what is that? 48 weeks long for every program. So you can literally 52 It's 52 weeks in a year. Yeah. Uh, I did 24 weeks as six months and I just times that by two is 48. Mm. Um, there's some, uh, I guess there's straggler days that make there's several uh, months. Yeah. Worth. Five weeks or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically it'll be just under a year then. For sure. Or 48 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but point being is it's going to be done for so far in advance that, and, and when we first build the app, it's not going to be like every program is 48 weeks done. It's, they're all going to be about 12 weeks. And then I'll be like in the back end adding to them and developing them week after week. So the point is, is people start, they know, they don't have to touch their programs for the rest mm. of the year. It's cool. just done. Yeah. So sounds convenient unless their schedule changes and they're like, fuck, I can't train five days a week anymore. Then of course we change it. Yeah. But cool. All right. We got one more here from Anthony Toko or taco. No, it's Toko. Would love some information about mini cuts. When is a good time to start a mini cut besides feeling fluffy and how aggressive should you go? Do you go straight from surplus to deficit? Um, I don't like mini cuts. I feel like we've talked about mini cuts quite a bit. Um, and I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I guess not too much, but we've we've talked about mini cuts a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of mini cuts because I think that a slow, sustainable, longer duration approach is going to work better in 99% of people. If you were going to do a mini cut, so like a mini cut was, I would say, I don't know if it was created by, but I think it was popularized by Mike Israel before anybody else. Um, him and Jared Feather wrote a book called Mini Cut Manual, and you. I would highly suggest it's a good book. It's a good read um, to just kind of give you the ins and outs of how to periodize mini cuts and everything. But they were created for the purpose of making sure you don't get too fat in a gaining phase. So these are bodybuilders who created mini cuts and they created them so that when you're doing a, a bulk or a gaining phase for, let's say you're gaining all year. A lot of times bodybuilders will spend 12 months just trying to put on size, right? There's going to be probably like two to four periods of times throughout those 12 months where you probably just got a little too fluffy and you need to pull your calories back and try to cut a little bit of fat. You're trying to cut two to five pounds, usually two to six pounds, sometimes a little bit more. If you went like way overboard and you got pretty damn fat, you maybe you cut 10 pounds. But point being is it's a short, aggressive cut that literally is just like, let me just trim off a few pounds of fat because I, I overshot or my body's not responding to calories as well. My body's not responding to training as well. My insulin sensitivity is poor. Um, I feel lethargic. I hate what I see in the mirror. You just took the, the gaining phase a little too far, which is normal. You should push that threshold to that point in a gaining phase to get the most out of the gaining phase. And more body fat on your body isn't going to limit how much muscle you can gain per se. But it can get uncomfortable and it can feel 
um, hard. So more than anything, it's for the psychological purposes. Um, I think originally a lot of what they thought was like, and I, and I, I a hundred percent thought this in the past, like you should get lean first before you try to bulk because the leaner you are, the better your insulin sensitivity is and your P ratio is, which means you're going to have a better ratio of, of fat accumulation to muscle growth based on what you're doing in the gym and what you're eating. Um, but they just did a bunch of research. We talked about it on that one podcast where basically they had two groups and not fat, but heavier and then really lean. And the P P ratio was the same. The muscle growth was the same. And there's even some room to believe that you might actually build more muscle with a little bit of fat on your body. So, um, you should push that threshold. Uh, if you push too far and you're psychologically in a bad place or you don't like what you see, or you feel lethargic in the gym or anything like that, not to improve your P ratio or anything like that, but just from the sense of like, I don't like looking in the mirror and being fat. So I'm going to pull back a little bit, re-motivate myself, and then I'm going to jump back into this gaining phase and you kind of cycle back and forth. Um, usually mini cuts are four to eight weeks and you got to take at least a 15% all the way up to a 30, 35% deficit, which is really aggressive. Um, I did a mini cut with a competitor who is competing in bikini in July. And this is the first mini cut I've done in a while. And the reason we did that is because last time she prepped, uh, it didn't go well. And we've been gaining for like six to eight months. She's been gaining a good amount of muscle, um, gaining weight in the right way. She was a little uncomfortable and I wanted to see how her body would respond Mm -hmm. because last time she tried to diet, it didn't go very well. So to me, I'm like, Hey, let me put you in a deficit. Let me just see if your body responds. If your body does not respond, I don't want to put you into a prep because then it's just going to be a long, frustrating road. Um, So we put her into a mini cut. It was pretty aggressive. It went really well. She cut five or six pounds in six weeks. Um, And now we reversed her calories back up to maintenance pretty quickly, and she's gained like a pound. So net four-pound loss, and now we're going to be able to take a maintenance block, and then when we step into her contest prep, she's going to be in a better place both mentally and physically um, and physiologically speaking. So – there's times and places for it. Um, I think that maybe if you went on holiday for like, like say you went, uh, you, you had your wedding and then you, you go to um, the Virgin Islands. Is that where you guys are going? Possibly. Um, let's say you're gone for two weeks total yeah. with the wedding, all this stuff. And you come back and you're like, bro, like I gained probably 10 pounds of just like partying and good food and stuff. I'd be like, you could do a mini cut. Yeah. You know, like, let's put you in a big deficit. You'll drop that weight real quick, and then you can get back to just maintaining your normal physique. Like, that's totally fine, too. Um, I think the problem, I I don't like promoting mini cuts is because I think some people, like, cycle them in so frequently because they're trying to constantly, like, their their goal is not to shave off three pounds. Their goal is to lose 20 pounds. So they, they're like, let's just get aggressive. And then they burn out, and then they're like, oh, I need another mini cut because that allowed me to lose 10 pounds. But you gained ate back because you didn't do it the right way kind of thing, you know? Um, so I don't recommend them too much, very far and few between, um, more so for very serious competitors, uh, or people that are bodybuilding driven for sure. You know? All right. Uh, next one comes from Liz like cone feeling property. Oh, feeling proper properly before and after workouts for uh, optimal muscle growth and slash minimal, deterioration food or supplements or both feeling properly before and after workouts for optimal muscle growth and minimal deterioration food or supplements or both so i typically will recommend food above anything else however if you can't get a meal in 
post-workout for three plus hours, then I would do some kind of post-workout shake. Um, if you're really hungry afterwards, but you can't eat for two hours, I would still maybe do a protein shake. It does It's not going to hurt you. You know, it can only help. Is it required? Is it mandatory? No, there's no anabolic window that's going to kill you. Um, Studies show that having some kind of protein within three hours pre and post workout is ideal for muscle protein synthesis, recovery, muscle growth, so on and so forth. But going beyond that doesn't deteriorate muscle. I think you actually have to go like 18 to 24 hours post workout. So, like if you trained really hard and then you didn't have any protein or carb or anything for 18 to 24 hours, at that point, you might start kind of deteriorating a little bit of muscle and not to the point where you're going to be like, frail, but you might lose a little bit of muscle mass or lose out on some gains that you could have had, um, not recover as well. Uh, so an example of, of what I would ideally suggest is basically I kind of, I mean, I, I'm at the point where I can control my day. So I, I make sure that it's pretty dialed in, in this regard. And my pre-workout meal is two to three hours before my workout. Um, I definitely have a lot of clients that do it like an hour, maybe two hours. But for me personally, I like to like fully digest and kind of be empty when I step in the training session if I have a bunch of food in my stomach I just feel like shit when I train so about two to three hours prior to training I have a meal that has protein carbs minimal fat Um, the carbs are both fruit and starch the protein is both casein and whey because that way um, it's slow digesting which helps muscle protein breakdown it's fast digesting with the whey so it's a high muscle protein synthesis response Um, two to three hours later I train Immediately post-workout, I have my Legion Recharge Supplement, which is going to be um, creatine and a few other things that are just going to help electrolytes, recovery, uh, cortisol management, so on and so forth. Um, that's going to help post-workout um, quite a bit. So even if I do, like, that has no calories. So I don't do like a big shake afterwards. I just have that on my way home and then I eat within an hour. And my, my dinner is usually just straight protein and a little bit of veggie, which is not the most ideal post-workout. Um, most ideal post-workout would be protein and carb. But the reason I do that is because, one, I already have that post-workout supplement on the way home, which is going to help some of those things that I want for recovery. Um, and two, I like putting all of my carbs in the morning and the day since I'm limited on carbs right now. When I'm not cutting, I have carbs in every single meal. When I'm cutting, I typically front load my carbs in the day because it gives me energy to work and it gives me more energy in my training session. Um I like the chrono nutrition style of dieting too, where it promotes better energy expenditure throughout the day through need, better circadian rhythm. So I have a really big breakfast with carbs, protein, and a little bit of fat, big lunch with carbs, protein, a little bit of fat. And then my dinner is basically just protein and some fat and veggies. And then I have a snack at night, again, protein and fat. Um, and that's a perfect world scenario. Like yeah. I'm not rushing to that dinner. Um, I don't need any supplementation if I don't want it. Food is fine. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, next question comes from Kofi Sam Ping Pong. I think it's coffee. Coffee yeah. Sam Ping Pong. I, I, I butcher it every single yeah. time. He's in the mentorship. My girlfriend found out. Uh, my girlfriend found out that she has PCOS, and she wanted to know some nutrition tips and protocols that would help her manage the PCOS and avoid weight gain. I know this is based on an individual, but what are some things you? things you do to help your clients crush their fitness goals in spite of PCOS? Mm. This is a good one. Um, So there's number one thing that's going to help PCOS is weight loss, which is ironic because people with PCOS struggle with weight loss and it's like, well, to fix it, just lose weight. It's like, well, yeah, but because of PCOS, I struggle to lose weight. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, 
and it's it's honestly it's it's somewhat of a mystery not not that it's unknown but every individual is different i've had a lot of clients because pcos can it doesn't always but it can cause insulin resistance which means that a low carb higher fat approach would probably be best regardless of of if your PCOS is causing insulin resistance. You should have a high protein diet that's shown to help with PCOS too, and just dieting in general. Um, but I have had some individuals that I put them on a low carb, high fat diet, and it works phenomenally. Um, I have other clients who I refuse to take their carbs away because they're athletes. Like I have uh, a BJJ athlete who is constantly rolling and, and competing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at a high level. She needs carbs. She's an athlete, but she has PCOS. So, um, in those scenarios, it's it's about choosing the right type of carbs, making sure digestion's good, having high fiber, so you're slowing digestion of those carbs throughout the day. Every meal should have carbs in it. Basically, you don't want to fast, you don't want to do anything like that. Rather, like if you're if you have 200 grams of carbs to eat every day, and you're eating four meals, each meal would have 50 grams. If you have uh, 150 grams of carbs, and you have three meals, 50 grams per meal. Point is, is you have three to five meals per day and it's evenly spread, not front loading or back loading like I do, a ton of carbs in one period of time because you have that potential insulin resistance. And there is some research that shows people with PCOS actually do benefit um, or maybe that study was thyroid dysfunction. But either way, both cases, uh, we noticed a benefit of having carbs evenly spread throughout the day in all your meals. Um, berberin would be a good supplement to take if they do have some kind of insulin resistance because that's going to help uh, improve the insulin resistance and help digest and absorb the carbohydrates you're taking in. Um, and then just just managing training properly. Strength training is going to be the biggest thing. Uh, not overdoing cardio, getting enough sleep. Like stress is going to be a huge thing for that. Um, and it's kind of similar to the thyroid thing where unfortunately you might have to go into a bigger deficit in certain periods of time because your body has something going on with it that's not going to agree with the diet, right? It's, it's going to give you some fight back and therefore you might have to have a more aggressive approach with your diet and take more diet breaks because you do have PCOS and it's the same thing with thyroid dysfunction. For sure. So yeah, I think that's a good, good way to round it out. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, we're going to stop there today. Um, I don't think there's any announcements yet. I don't think so either. As always, drop us a question. Links, cool. in, links in the description. Yep. Catch you later.